You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's windrows they have the men's windrows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out All right, everybody, we're back again. Nine Finger Chronicles in the house. I'm Dan Johnson. I'm your host, uh, as always. Anyway, today we have a short and sweet podcast. Guy drives from Kentucky six hours to Missouri, hops in a tree stand, kills a buck the same night. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish that happened more in my life because uh, as much as I do appreciate a long uh, you know a long drawn out rut where you get to see a lot and experience a lot I also appreciate a real quick in and out type uh, season as well especially with three kids and a job that requires a lot of time so today we're going to be talking with Brett Smith and he's going to walk us through how he found this honey hole on a piece of Missouri public ground that uh, he scouted for several years and found some sheds to and finally had an aha moment uh, last season when he witnessed some deer flow through this area. He comes back the next year, sets up in that area where he saw good deer movement, and what do you know? He's got a deer on the ground like three hours after he got into the state so uh really awesome podcast uh with brett this dude is uh is a killer and uh he's passionate about the outdoors like all of us and he's getting it done on public land which is even cooler so uh today our commercial is wasp archery right wasp broadheads now uh on my elk hunt i wish i had the ability to to you know, pull the trigger and fling an arrow at an elk. I did not, 
but uh, I got the South Dakota mule deer trip coming up and on that uh, trip I'm going to be using the same broadhead that I used on my elk hunt and that is going to be a boss four blade and uh, I'm telling you what uh, from the deer I've killed with fixed blade broadheads I've seen more pass-throughs uh, than mechanicals but that's not saying that uh, a mechanical won't get the job done especially at closer whitetail type ranges uh, I do have let's see what are they the wasp jackhammers that I've used in the past those are going to be I'm going to have one or two of those in the quiver when I do my whitetail hunts, especially on a doe. Uh, you know, if a doe stands in front of my stand too long, I got two doe tags this year. And uh, I'll fling a mechanical at those those ladies to fill the freezer. And uh, if you guys want to find out more about the fixed blade broadheads and the mechanical broadheads that wasp offers go to wasparchery.com and if you do decide to purchase some heads use the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will get 20 percent off your purchase so it's worth it to uh, go there, pick up something, you know, before the season really gets rocking and rolling, get those heads on, practice with them, and go kill something with them, and then call me, and then we will uh, we'll do a podcast uh, or hit me up on uh, Facebook, and, and we'll uh, we'll do a we'll do a podcast. Now, other than that, some housekeeping, really quick. Uh, I have not yet picked a winner for the giveaway that we've uh, that I said I was going to pick a drawing for when I got back from my elk hunting. So there is still time for you to go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and share the the post that is pinned to the top. It was a podcast that I did with Ben Harshine a while back. If you share that, make sure you like the Sportsman's Nation uh, Instagram and Facebook pages and the Nine Finger Chronicles Instagram and Facebook pages. That's going to get you entered in to win the uh, this big giveaway. We're giving away uh, Wasp Broadheads and Ozonics, a Prime, and there's something else, but uh, oh, uh, a ripcord arrow rest, right? So we got this uh, this huge giveaway packet. I will be picking a winner next, well, not next week because I'll be on a mule deer hunt, but uh, when I do get back, I will be picking a winner. So this is your absolute last chance to enter, share it, like all the, the, the pages associated with the Nine Finger Chronicles and Sportsman's Nation, and that's how you win. So, uh, there's the commercial. There's the housekeeping. If you're not if you're not subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles or the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail feed, uh, please do so. And uh, all the content is coming straight to your ears. It's all good, and hopefully you guys are enjoying it. And here is a very short and sweet podcast about a guy who drives six hours, shoots a deer, and drives six hours back home. Enjoy. All right, we have a returning guest on today's episode, Mr. Brett Smith. How you doing, man? Not too bad, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, jacked for this upcoming season, man. I, I want to be in the timber so bad tonight. It's the second here, October 2nd here in Iowa. This gigantic cold front just came through where the temperatures have dropped like 30 degrees uh, since yesterday. And, uh, I, I want to be in the woods, but I do not think my schedule is going to allow for it today, uh, which really sucks. I was, uh, yeah. 
I was I was gonna say I I know the the weather's been super hot here. I was gonna ask you if that cold front came through yet. Yeah, it it uh, came guys. through, dropped a ton of rain, and honestly, one of my favorite times to hunt, th- any time, is when a gigantic rainstorm just came through. I feel like for some reason the deer are on their feet right after it ends. Uh, and it rained even a little bit, uh, this, this morning and this afternoon already. And I just, I just, for something, there's something about a post rain hunt where these deer, they don't want to sit on the wet ground. They're up on their feet. They're, they're probably hungry because the night before it rained all night and, uh, they want to do a little moving. And I've found a ton of success over the years hunting right after a big rainstorm. Yeah, absolutely. I could see them really holding tight, especially if you get a real bad storm. I mean, it's not something they're just going to want to be moseying around during. Right. So I could see why they'd hold tight and hopefully get up after. Yeah, man. And uh, I'm going to be in my closet of an office doing work because I got to get a whole bunch of stuff done before I head out to uh, South Dakota for my mule deer hunt. Uh, I think I'm leaving Friday or Saturday. When do you leave for that? I think sat- actually okay. Saturday okay. or uh, Saturday or Sunday. Uh, pending a couple engagements that I have to take part in, but uh, I don't know, man. Uh, the reason you're on this podcast is because you've already found some early season early season success. Yeah, I mean, there's always a lot of luck involved. I mean, especially, I mean, we we did a good amount of scouting, but yeah, I mean, there there was a lot of luck involved with the bad temperatures we had and stuff like that. I mean. I, we got lucky. That's that's all I can say, <laughs> dude. I, I'd rather be lucky than good any day, right? That that's the truth. All right. So before we we get into the story of this uh, buck you you shot, um, how, how many times have you been on the podcast now? This is number four. Holy cow, four! You're getting up there. Uh, you're not that. You're not the top guy yet, but you're getting up there. Man, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, you just must be desperate for guests. That's all I got to say. <laughs> really desperate. Really desperate. That's right. <laughs> I didn't think I didn't, I didn't think I was that interesting, but here I am. Here you are. You're good at you're good at killing shit, man. That's why you're on here. Trying to keep it consistent. That's my goal every year is just to try and take a respectable deer in all the areas that I hunt. I mean, hunt a lot of high-pressure areas. So, I mean, like I said, my goal is just to try and take a respectable deer in every one of those areas. So, just trying to keep consistent. Yeah, absolutely. That's the that's the key right there. I want to talk to you about this uh, this hunt that you, that you went on early season, found success in Missouri. You live in Kentucky. So, the first question and I think you kind of alluded to it in a comment already is uh, when did you go out and scout Missouri? How many years in a row have you been out to Missouri and uh, how, how, how have you put this game plan together over the years to, to find success this year? So, I mean, honestly, everybody wants like the secret to success for hunting. It was just putting boots on the ground and a lot of time. I mean, we've been going to Missouri for, probably four or five years, but I, I finally stepped piece on this piece of uh, public ground. I think it was two years ago. And just looking at, even looking at maps, I wouldn't have been able to pick out this spot. I mean, there's some topographical features that kind of led me to it afterwards. I guess I could see them, but it was just getting boots on the ground and realizing what kind of terrain and how thick everything was. 
I mean, like I said, we've been out there for a couple of years. I really figured it out this past um, lo- this past late season. Uh, we got on a really, really nice buck and ended up finding a shed. I know I sent you pictures of it a long time ago. It was uh, that Booner shed, and it was on public land. Um, so this was actually only 130 yards away from where I, I found that shed. And I, I knew he wasn't the only buck using this this little this little couple-acre piece. I mean, it was just absolutely torn up with rubs. And it was, bottom line, it was just all about getting boots on the ground. Gotcha. All right, so... Over the over the past, you know, four or five years that you've gone to Missouri to scout and hunt, what's the has there has there been a theme to the locations where you're finding these deer? Kind of describe the the trends that you're seeing in in regards to where these deer are living and where you are setting up on them. So, I mean, the biggest thing with hunting where I'm hunting Missouri is really understanding how to read a topographical map and just understanding. In this case, it was a, it was just understanding, you know, looking on a map and seeing a draw coming out of this bottom. And I didn't know the bottom was as thick as it was until I got boots on the ground. So um, it's a lot of hunting the hill country and kind of predicting that maybe they're going to bet on a certain finger of a ridge with, with wind over their back. And, and in this scenario... Um, there was definitely ridges surrounding this bowl. So this deer came out of this 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 real thick bowl, we'll call it. And there's these prevailing, you know, ridges on on pretty much every side where there was beds. Um, and I think they were they were kind of, for the most part, betting on the exterior of of uh, this bowl. You know, just circling around it using the wind to their advantage. And um, I basically got in between that food source and figured out the draw that hopefully he was coming out. You know coming out of the bottom after crossing so basically he would have came off um came off one ridge crossed through the bottom and uh on his way to the food and i i just happened to be in the right draw that he came out of the bottom and cut him off gotcha and that was that's for this year's buck right yeah that was yeah. this year's buck okay. yep so i want to talk about the 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 area that that you eventually hunted in um has this been like one larger piece of public that you were scouting over the years or have you bounced around looking for the best possible terrain because it sounds to me like uh it sounds to me you you haven't been hunting the same location every year no so when i first started it i i traveled across i took two weeks and i traveled across the entire northern portion of the state and hit up pretty much a, a lot of different public pieces and i ended up getting on this one um and it, it ended up just kind of having all the right you know pieces to the puzzle, I guess. And I, I figured it out the easiest. I got on the sign. Um, and when I got on the sign, I mean, it was when I got on the sign, especially last year, I mean, I hunted it the year before that, but, and I was get, kind of getting close, but then when I got in it last year and I really found this honey hole, I've, n- I've never seen an area as torn up as the one that I ended up killing this buck out of. And, and I know the buck that I killed is not the one in there, but with EHD hitting in that area, I found probably 140 inch deer dead. So I know it hit that area. Um, I mean, it just, it was, it was a lot of trial and error and finally just really got on good sign in this one public area. Gotcha. So what I want to know then is for all the listeners out there, we, we talk a a lot about, you know, failing, but learning from failure to make moves in the right direction for success, right? To, to finally learn something from the property that was like, oh shit, I should have been doing this two years ago. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, and a perfect example for me is when I was, uh, I'm, I'm walking through this area during shed hunting and I'm, and you know, it's a late season. There's no leaves on the tree. I can see a big drop off down towards a Creek and I can see the corner of a pasture. 
and it's not necessarily thick like a bedding area, but it is this gigantic pinch point, this gigantic funnel that just connects two big chunks of timber on the main farm that I hunt. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, why have you never had a trail camera in here or had a tree stand in here? And this year I have like four trail cameras and one tree stand in this five acre little area right that sure and and you just overlooked it all those years yeah absolutely so what was it um that you you would say you failed at or overlooked that kind of pointed you in this direction where you found success this year yeah so i mean basically it was all about just getting in there and hunting it and finally you know seeing this big deer this this booner last year move through the terrain in a way that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. And so I remember I remember the exact conditions of that day. So it was a southwesterly wind, and I kind of expected these deer to be down in this bottom. I knew for the most part bucks should be bedding up on ridges, and it just I didn't put two and two together. And my buddy ended up seeing this buck, um, this booner, late season. And, and like I said, he was just on the exterior of this bowl that I was talking about before, up on a ridge. And you know, using the wind coming over his back and then slowly making his way to the field. So I was just assuming that he was in this super, super thick bottom um, this whole time and just really didn't put all the puzzle pieces together until I physically, we, we saw him do what he did. Gotcha. So I figured for the most part, that's that's the way a lot of these bucks were using this this piece. Were other deer doing the same thing as that, that big buck? Absolutely. And so when I did my, my preseason scouting, I was finding beds, buck beds, I mean, rubs and everything on the on the it would be the uh, the southern portion of this bowl and i think they're using it on a southwest wind and that's one that i ended up killing my buck on so i kind of made sense of it all and put it all together okay so was that an edge that they were walking on or was it just like that you know you you hear everybody talk about the top third of of a ridge right that's where you know depending on the wind direction that wind's coming over they can smell everything without being skylined right was that what they were doing yeah so like this ridge i mean it is super super steep and like you said i think he there was a trail that came in about 60 70 yards behind his bed and so he could smell everything behind him and then he could scoot away down in this bottom cross through the bottom um, which was super thick. So that was kind of his edge along with that, you know, that ridge system scoot through that bottom and pop out in this soybean field that was still hot, you know, at the time when I took my buck. Gotcha. Okay. Now any other failures, you know, other than, cause that, you know, learning an area, I wouldn't necessarily call it a failure because it does take some time to just witness deer movement from a tree stand. Uh, that allows someone to get educated on how deer move through a certain terrain. Did you do, did you fail at all and have a, like a a failure moment that led to you making a a different decision? I would say that that moment when I saw that, that Booner used the terrain, I mean, that was definitely the failure moment, I guess, and realized, Oh, okay, this makes sense. This is why they're doing what they're doing. But that along with just really getting boots on the ground in the off season during shed season and finding these, 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 these rubs and these beds and figuring out which parts of this, you know, bottom they were actually crossing through and stuff like that. Then after, after, you know, I actually saw that sign, I was like, okay, well this makes more sense. Now I need to set up here because I I found this sign and there was some predominant trails that were coming through there that I didn't even know about last year. So, you know, first sit this year, we, we set up on some of them and it worked out. Was this the first sit kill? 
first sit. I drove six hours, uh, got there, got in a stand, and I was done within you know, <laughs> two and a half hours. So could basically turn around and go right back home afterward. Wow, that's nuts. Uh, all right, so when you were when you were doing your scouting, uh, how many acres? You know, you mentioned that the first year you kind of cruised the entire northern uh, part of Missouri looking for uh, looking for ground. You know, this year uh, you came back, you did some some scouting. How many acres were you then kind of hyper focused on? Not the entire northern part of the state, but how many acres were you really looking at? 40 acres, I'd say. I, I mean, this little this little core area that they were all passing through. I would say there's two bedding areas. There's a pinch between them, and then on on one's far side there there's a there's a um, a food source. So I mean, I once we kind of got into the real good sign, we could really narrow it down to a 40 acre section. And and within that, this little bowl I'm talking about was even smaller than that. It could have been eight acres, ten acres, something right. like that. I'd say about. Okay. So now throughout all your travels, because you hunt you hunt multiple states throughout a year. Um, when you, when you go to travel to different States, is it your goal to whittle it down to a 48 acre section or smaller, or are you, are you still taking a high level approach and trying to cover as much ground as humanly possible? The main thing is just covering as much ground as I possibly can until I bump into that sign and then hopefully narrow it down from there. I mean, it depends where you're hunting because if I was looking at a map in Wisconsin, these topographical features might look awesome, but the lack of deer, I mean, there might not be sign there. Or if I'm hunting a state like Missouri or Kentucky, generally I can look at some topographical features and for the most part, it generally lines up with some sort of sign and I can just narrow it down from there. Gotcha. Okay. So now from a from a food source, right? Early season, uh, this time of year, I just think of acorns. What uh, right. When you identified this buck's bed uh, or the a bedding area and the trails kind of leading to and from it, did you happen to identify a food source as well? Absolutely. So, like I said, he was headed to an agriculture field, but I was I was hunkered right in the oaks on the edge of his bedding area, and sure enough, that's what they were browsing on, and probably not getting to the crop field, especially the bigger deer, until way after dark. So th- so this was more of like a staging area you were in. Absolutely. Yeah, I was I was tucked back in that staging area all the way until the edge of the bedding. I mean, we got real real aggressive that first night. Okay. All right. So are you always that aggressive on on these quicker trips? I mean, how much time did you dedicate to this hunt? Um, we were going for a three day weekend, so it, it was kind of go time when we got there. And that's one thing I've always been, you know, we, we all, everybody at running guns, we always kind of call ourselves pretty aggressive, pretty aggressive. I've kind of changed it up this year to the point where I almost, I almost, I almost started living and dying kind of by the bump and dump where I want to get so aggressive that I want to, I want to make sure I went far enough, figure it out and hopefully set up on them the next hunt. And in this case, you know, I didn't, I didn't bump anything. But I, I knew where to be because of prior scouting. But otherwise, it's just I'm trying to get over over aggressive to the point where it almost seems stupid sometimes. Right. So you're okay with risking bumping the deer to justify that you've made the right you're, you're in the right area. Uh, yeah, and I mean even on this hunt in, in particular, I, I bumped past the does and I they left blowing. 
And I ended up seeing, I mean, I ended up killing this buck. And same thing with hunting in Kentucky here last week. Same thing. I, 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 I busted past the does. They blew me out and I still saw a shooter buck. So I, a lot of times it scares you, but you can't, you know, you can't just sit on the exterior because it'll never happen then. Yeah, absolutely. So when you went in uh, and you bumped these does, did you think your hunt was over at this point? You can't help but to think that way after all the years of just having those pesky does blowing you out. And you just, I mean, most hunts don't go well after that. So I kind of thought, eh, especially with the weather we're dealing with, I don't think much is going to happen, but I was wrong. Yeah. So it's almost like the bucks are used to does blowing. And unless they don't get that verification of seeing it, hearing it, or smelling it, they're, they're okay with, with hearing a, another deer blow. And that's the thing. It was so thick in this area. I mean, the does could have been blown at anything. It could have been coyotes. It could have been anything. The, the, the buck doesn't know. And the wind was in our favor. So Right, right. So how long from the time that the does were blowing at you till the time he stood up and started walking your direction? Um, About three hours, two and a half, three hours. Okay. And like I said, it was just so thick. He, he would never have a clue what actually the, they were blowing at. Gotcha. What time were you in the tree by? I ended up killing at like seven ten, I want to say. So about three hours before that, right about four fifteen, four thirty. I would say by the time we actually finally got set up. Gotcha. Okay. So that's crazy. Uh, I have never ever had like other than a, a doe, right? I've never had a first time in. Uh, I, I don't want to say first time in, but like go someplace, set up the very first time, kill like a, a quote-unquote early season kill on a target buck. When when you went to Missouri this year, what was your goal? I mean, obviously that booner would have been nice, but, you know, given the EHD that you talked about, what was your what was your goal or expectation? And that's exactly the thing. I mean, we went in there. We wanted to chase that booner. We had cameras in there. Never got them on camera. So automatically I'm thinking to myself, you know, a respectable deer, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't really care about the score too much, but if I can get my hands on a nice Pope and young buck, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully in a perfect scenario, you know, a three, four year old deer, I mean, that's what I wanted to shoot. I mean, obviously where I was at, there's an antler restriction and, and whatever else, but I still wanted to kill a respectable deer, but my standards, like you said, they, I wasn't going after the booner, you know, just the booner because of, I, I found dead deer and I, I've heard EHD was pretty bad in that area. So I just didn't set the standards too high. I could try to keep it realistic. Gotcha. How long, uh, were those trail cameras in there? Those trail cameras were only in there for about a month. So not overly long. And like I said, we saw that buck late season last year. This just might not, I mean, it might not have been his range, you know, until late season. Gotcha. So that, 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 you know, that booner. So who knows, maybe with the late season tag, you get back on them, but we'll see. Right, right. So what what did the trail cameras tell you that were in there a month? Did, when did you check them? Did you you obviously checked them after you killed the deer, right? Yeah. So one of them I was able to get on the exterior of this bedding area with, um, and I checked one of them, and it, it there was a shoot buck on it, but nothing crazy. And then the other one I checked after, and neither camera actually had this buck on it, and I was in their area so i mean i i was i had the had the cameras in good spots but obviously not quite close enough to get all the bucks on camera okay all right and what did you say this buck was on camera no it was not it was and, not. and that's okay. why i've i think we get so dependent on cameras and cameras are a great tool but we can't rely on them you know right. i think we all do too much right yeah and i think 
I think trail cameras have their, their place, but especially when you're taking out of state trips and you are, um, let's see, how do I put this? You're taking out of state trips in the time frame that you're hunting needs your, your strategy needs to change as opposed to, let's say I'm hunting right next to my house. I have all season to hunt there and I can, you know, I can be, I can be aggressive, but I can also bide my time. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, we had, we had, we had, we had a, a pre-rut hunt, hunt planned as well. You know, if this didn't go as well, this, I mean, you really never expect to go kill on the first hunt. So you kind of almost think it's going to be more of a scouting mission, you know, kind of thing, but we, we knew where they were at. And it, it, like I said, it just worked out. Right. Absolutely. We had time allotted to go back, but obviously we don't have to now. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, did your buddy kill that you went with? That went with you. So I had a, a guy who I had a guy who was filming for me, and he didn't buy a tag. But then I, my buddy who did go, he uh, he did not kill, but we did see a very 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 big deer in the general area that he was hunting. So we know there's more, you know, in, around there. So That's he did awesome. not kill though. But uh, he's going to come back, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I'll go back late season too. So all right. So is that for late season archery? Yeah. Yep. Try and fill the archery tag. Okay. All right. So anything else about this entire process that you kind of, uh, I don't want to say had an aha moment, but gradually learned about deer in general, not necessarily about that particular hunt, but what did you take away from this particular hunt that's going to allow you to become a better hunter overall? I just keep going back to the to the scouting. There were so many pieces to the puzzle that made this area in particular very usable for big deer. I mean, most of the access would come from a way that the predominant wind would come from. And so if they smell anything, they'd get out of there. They had these big ridge systems that it'd be it, it'd be impossible to access these deer, you know, from from you know most locations. So they could sit up on these ridges and they could see everything. And then they had this real thick bottom on the way to food. It just, it literally had everything. So it was just a matter of scouting until we found every piece of the puzzle, which generally doesn't happen. You don't get every piece of the puzzle, but this time we did. And that's why it's such a hot area, I think. Right. Right. Were there a lot of does in that area? A good amount, but nothing crazy. All right. What did you see for sign in there? I mean, you saw a lot of rubs, but were they new rubs or were they old rubs? So, I mean, most times I'm setting up on, on new rubs and this time it was just, I was going based off of past year's experience. I mean, I know there's, if I would have dug into that bedding area, if I would have went another 50, 75, hundred yards and started digging in there, I know there's, there's fresh rubs in there, but, and that's the thing I knew that. So I didn't have to physically see them, but I kind of set up in a good travel corridor where there was older rubs from the past. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, one of these, uh, short and sweet kind of hunts, uh, Last year for my my rut vacation, I think I only hunted four total days until I shot my buck. Uh, I like I like it, but I kind of also missed the the drawn out long rut vacations where you get to see a lot of activity. Uh, maybe a, a big dog doesn't step into shooting range right away, but I I I kind of I'm always wanting to kill early, but don't really care if it takes a while you know what i mean absolutely i was talking to my buddy about this it's almost like sometimes i feel like i enjoy the chase 
more than I actually enjoy the kill because all of a sudden you kill early and you're like, well, I had all these plans and I, I would have loved to see what would have happened throughout the year and now I tagged out. So it's right. kind of it's like it's a better it's a bittersweet moment when it actually all comes together, especially right away. Right. So what is your uh, plan now? Does this you tagging out in Missouri open any other doors for you on, on a different out of state hunt this year? I mean, we're just going to we're going to play it by ear. Illinois is pretty close to where I live. It's an expensive tag, but at the same time, there's quality deer there. So we're just going to play it by ear. Kentucky's my main focus. With hunting the public land and the general area that I've been, I've jumped around to quite a few different pieces. I've, I've been pretty impressed with the deer I've been seeing on public land. So I'm going to have higher standards, I think, over here. But I guess we'll. Ju- I know I'm going to go back to Missouri late season. So I guess we'll. If I if I tag out in Kentucky before the rut, I got to be somewhere for the rut. I just can't miss it. So maybe I'll go to Illinois or something like that. So we'll just have to see what happens in Kentucky now. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, congrats on a early season, uh, early season deer, and good luck the rest of the season, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one, Dan.